Matthew 13. I've been teaching on the parables of the kingdom, preaching, teaching. Uh, the parables of the kingdom. There was about six or seven of them that Jesus shared. And in these little teachings, these little uh, metaphors, these little um, stories, Jesus was explaining the kingdom of God. So just think about that term for a minute. The kingdom, think of what a kingdom is, the domain, the area of the rule, the boundaries of a king. And so there's a thing called the kingdom of God, and it is the sphere of the rule of God. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom, king of kings, lord of lords. And so he's sharing with us so that we can understand how the kingdom of God intersects this world and how we relate with the kingdom of God in this world. So that's what these parables are all about. We've gone through the parable of the sower. We've gone through the parable of the wheat and the tares. We last week went through the parable of the leaven and of the mustard seed. And this morning... One of my favorite, one of the most brief, but most potent and powerful of all parables is the parable of the field of treasure, or the treasure hidden in the field. And you'll find that in verse 44, Matthew chapter 13. And uh, look on as I read it. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. When a man discovers it, he buried it again and was so delighted with it that he went away, sold everything that he had, and he bought that field. And that's the parable. A man found a treasure. Another parable refers to it as a treasure of great price, of great value. It's invaluable. And he... Um, buries it back in the field, leaves it there, runs away, sells his home, sells his possessions, dispossesses himself, liquidates his assets, takes everything he has, buys the field, and gains the treasure. Now, Jesus uses this example to explain the kingdom of God. So I want you to hear the word in the word for you this morning. And there's three things that I want to say to you today. The first thing is, the treasure, Jesus, comes with a field. The treasure comes with a field. Let's define what these three elements are in Jesus' parable. Number one, the treasure is Jesus. You probably figured that out. Jesus is the treasure. Number two, the field. The field is the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man found a treasure in a field. The field is the kingdom of God. The finder, everyone say finder. The, the finder is the guy who found the treasure. You are a finder. You are the finder in this parable. So Jesus is the treasure. The kingdom of God is the field. You are the finder of the treasure. <clears throat> now, this message is clear. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion about it. It's simple. And the simple truth of this message is the finder, you, sells all in order to purchase the entire field so that he can possess the treasure. And so I need you to buy into that idea. 
If you believe that this is really Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, then I need you to accept the fact that he's saying, in order to possess the treasure, the finder, once finding the treasure, puts it back in the field, runs off, and he realizes somehow that he has to, in order to have that treasure, sell everything, buy the field. What he doesn't do is he doesn't pluck the treasure out of the field and just take it home and put it under his bed or on his mantle place or, or in his devotional room or, or wherever. He can't do that. Instead, what he does is he changes everything about his life and relocates to the field after he's purchased the field. So that's the clear message in this parable. It really defines Christianity, defines how to have Jesus, and it's about the kingdom of God. So removing Jesus out of the kingdom is not an option in Jesus' teaching. So Jesus' own teaching about himself says to us that it is not an option or it's not possible for us to remove King, uh, Jesus from the context of whatever he is that he's saying about the kingdom of God and our obligation to enter that kingdom and to live within that kingdom. So we buy into the kingdom in order to have Jesus. And if I could just, just stretch that out a little bit farther, just sort of kind of uh, inspire your thinking a little further along this line by saying to you, Jesus is not presenting himself in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Bible is not presenting Jesus as an accessory or as a fix to the brokenness of our lives. I know that he's presented that way. And indeed, receiving him, we receive healing and wholeness. But he's not presented just simply as a fix or an accessory to be added to our lives such as they are. But he is presented as the way to enter the kingdom of God. So whatever good thing happens in our life happens as we become a part of the kingdom of God. That was the idea when Jesus preached the message. He, John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God. Jesus went forth preaching the kingdom. And then the disciples, they went forth after he rose from the dead, and they preached, what was their message? The kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. So Jesus is the way to have or to receive the kingdom of God. Consider these examples, if you will. Um, you couldn't purchase an exotic fish at the pet store, bring it home, lay it on the dining room table without buying the fish tank and expect that fish to survive, right? You couldn't go and be thrilled at a music con concert, for example, then invite the band home without their instruments and expect to enjoy an encore. Because even though you have the musicians there, without the context of their instruments and the stage and all, they can't do what it is that that you so enjoyed about them. So you want to keep that in mind. So that's the first point, is that the king comes with a kingdom. The treasure comes with a field. Number one, you've got to buy that point and, and, and take hold of that. The second point is this. No field, no treasure. No field, no treasure. No kingdom, no king. How much do we really possess Jesus if we don't possess him as king of his kingdom? So no kingdom, no king, no field, no treasure. 
Purchasing the field was, is what gave the finder legitimate right to the treasure. Without going into a big explanation, that's exactly what Jesus was implying. He said, I want you to understand the kingdom of God. The finder finds the treasure, and then he goes and purchases the field he finds it in so that he can possess it. Why was that? It's because you can't take the treasure out of the field. Apparently, the treasure could not be removed from the field. The treasure was in the field. Another example to think about it is like oil in the ground. Jesus is found within the kingdom of God. You can't go to Texas and put all that oil in your pocket and then come back here to Florida and sell it. If you want the oil that's in the ground, what do you have to do? You've got to buy the land. And if you really want to make this work for you, you might as well just move there. So at any rate, purchasing the fields, what gives the finder legitimate right to the treasure? So Jesus is saying, if you want me, the buy-in is take the field. Buy the field. Somebody say amen if you can see where we're going with this. Now here's where Christians have trouble with faith. If Christians struggle, if you've struggled with your faith from time to time, here's oftentimes, not always, but here's oftentimes where the breakdown takes place. They reject Jesus' call into the kingdom while attempting to receive his blessing. Now look, the Lord wants you to be blessed. He wants to bless you more than you want that blessing. More than you need to be blessed with his comfort, with his joy, with um, his blessing on your relationships and the stewardships that you have in this life. The Lord wants that life of yours and everything that's involved with your life to be blessed. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be fulfilled. So these are not things that God's keeping from you. These are things that he's extending to you. These are benefits that the Lord wants to bring into your life. However, God knows that those blessings cannot just be put in your pocket or added to your life like magic, like an accessory. He understands that he can't take those blessings if we are living as a citizen of the fallen kingdom of this world, clinging to it, depending upon it, looking to the world and our life in the world for meaning and for, for, for fulfillment, and at the same time receive his blessings. It's like pouring rain on a hot asphalt on a summer, hot Florida summer day. It quickly evaporates. Instead, the Lord says, look, I want to put you in a place where when those blessings come, your ground can absorb them and keep them. Things can grow and you can be blessed. And he says, Lord, Father, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. So it's not that the Lord wants to take you out of the world, but he wants to relocate you from the fallen kingdom of darkness where you are serving the world, trying to get your life from that, instead of entering the kingdom of God and doing, going about your life as a child of the kingdom of God. So there's the idea of, of what happens to our faith, why we struggle. You're going to have problems believing God, seeing results in your life, if you're trying to get God to bless you, but you're rejecting Jesus' 
call to enter his kingdom. The finder buys the field. Even the thief on the cross, by the way, recognized this. Now, the thief on the cross, he didn't have any time left to go out and sell all that he had or change his life. By the time he was nailed to the cross, he'd lost all that he had. He had all he had left, by the way, was his ability to either curse and reject or bless and accept Jesus. That was all he had left, and thank God he spent that last dividend wisely. But listen to what the thief on the cross said, because he even acknowledged that Jesus was the treasure of a kingdom. When he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. So here he is dying beside Jesus on the cross. You might think, well, what's there to ask for? You know, the other guy was the guy who was really worldly-minded, and he said, well, if you're the king of kings, get us off this, save us from this cross. That's all he could think about. In his mind, everything was about this world. Everything was about getting out from under the bad circumstances that I'm being faced. The other guy had a completely different perspective. When he looked at Jesus, he understood there is something beyond this world. And I've messed up my existence in this world. But you know what? I'm looking for something beyond this world. I'm looking because I sense within myself an immortality. I don't want to draw my last breath in a few minutes and then end up opening my eyes a minute later in hell or rejected by God's presence. So he sees Jesus right beside him and he says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. He understood that the treasure of Jesus was that he was in his kingdom. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, think about me and remember me. Humbly broken, that's all he asked. Jesus said, son, don't worry about it. This day you will be with me, with me in paradise. So even the thief on the cross realized that the treasure comes in a field, and he bought into that field. Can I say to you that Jesus did not enter the fallen kingdom of men when he was born into this world to become its new king. But he entered the fallen kingdom of men in this world to offer its captives an opportunity to relocate into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus came to do. And when they tried to make him the king of this world, he absolutely resisted. And to this very day, if you try to make Jesus the king of your little world, rather than taking up your cross and following him, and letting him help you and bless you as an ambassador, as a pilgrim in this world, but with the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have a hard time following him. You cannot take the king out of Jesus and expect the results of the kingdom of God. So simply put, Jesus cannot heal your old life and make it meaningful if you insist on holding on to your old citizenship in this world. Now this can get tricky and I don't want to confuse anybody, but think with me for a moment. Where do you really in your heart go to find fulfillment? Where as a person, as a woman, as a girl, as a man, or as a boy, where are you looking in your life to find fulfillment? 
What do you hope is going to happen in your life? What are the things right now on your horizon? What are, where are your desires, your ambitions, your dreams? What would you like that, that makes you happy? The Lord put you in a physical world. He made this earth. He made, so he doesn't hate it. The Bible says God so loved the world. This was his idea, by the way. The air, the ground, the life, such as it is. Sin wasn't his ultimate purpose, but certainly the context of this world is what God had in mind. The devil didn't invent it. God invented it. So the Lord isn't wanting to take you out of this, nor does he criticize or condemn us or think poorly of us because we enjoy the physical world that we live in. Some of you sitting there, it really just rings your bell to get a new car. Now, I, I, I only bring up the material aspect of this because that's the most base form of this. But everything else, our relationships, our family, our achievements in life, these are all important to God. So the Lord knows it rings your bell to have a shiny blue car or, or whatever it is. Um, and <clears throat> he doesn't hold that against you. He knows that you enjoy the idea of having a new car, and so he's not opposed to it. So God's not saying that if you like having a new car, then the Lord is just, he sees you as clinging to the kingdom of this world. That's not what he's talking about. You can at the same time simultaneously enjoy buying a new car and still love Jesus above everything. Amen. He's where your life comes from. I mean, the, you know, you're not going to be very effective for the Lord if you just lay in bed and do nothing. Go, go nowhere, want nothing, don't compete in this life with others. The Lord's all about running the race and competing and achieving and accomplishing, reaching and taking hold. But being in the kingdom of God means that we all have an adult-like, and by the way, a seven-year-old is able to come to this. So, it, But we all have a solid adult-like understanding that, you know, without Jesus, if I'm ignoring him, if I am not putting him first, if I'm not really making him my joy, my refuge, the person I talk to, my confidant, my counselor, my daddy, my dad, my father, then I am living for the kingdom of this world rather than, so when I get upset and things don't go well in this world, where do I go to calm myself down? Where do I go to, uh, to ultimately work this problem out? I go to the Lord. Father, give me grace. Help me in this situation. That's putting the kingdom of God first. Now you may still have to pick up those tools and fix that broken thing, or you may still have to get on the phone and deal with the issue that you're in the middle of, but you do it as a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Father, however this goes, I just thank you. My joy and peace is in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. This isn't the end of the world if this thing turns out in a way that I'm not happy with. Do you understand what I'm saying? So my third Thing, third and final thing that I want to say this morning is buy the field. That was what Jesus said. He pointed out that the treasure comes in a field. He pointed out no treasure. It was pointed out by just the obvious um, that uh, no field, no treasure. And the third thing, he came right out and said it. The man got so excited about the treasure, what did he do? hit and grab it and run home with it, he went and changed where he lived. He didn't take Jesus home. He moved in with Jesus and sold his home. 
That is Christianity. Are you listening to me? See, I know when I went from being an atheist to being a Christian, it happened one night in a flash, alone in my bedroom by myself. That transformation took place, and almost immediately, it needed, I needed to find some Christians afterwards and learn the Bible and go to Bible study and get fellowshipped and all of those other great things for it to all sink in. But immediately was the sense that I have now relocated my life. Something transformative and revolutionary has taken place. And so we had this revolutionary experience called being born again. We never thought of being a Christian as something we added to our life. Oh, I've, I go to church now. Oh, I went and bought a Bible. Now I'm a Christian and I'm now reading the Bible. You're just never going to get there with God if that's what you think Christianity is. It's just getting a Bible and occasionally praying and then wonder why the prayers don't get answered and things don't get worked out. It is a revolutionary experience. It is transforming because what happens is that you literally buy the kingdom of God. And that becomes the place that you live. So the finder, Jesus says, the finder puts the treasure in the field. And he, the Bible says he sold everything he had and bought that field in order to possess the treasure. He bought into the kingdom in order to possess the treasure. So you must make the kingdom of God your new home in order to truly possess Jesus. Now, I don't really know where all this shakes out. I'm, I don't think I can stand up here today and say to you that you're not going to go to heaven when you die if you really don't fully live that kingdom life or buy into the kingdom. But what I do know is to have the benefit, the benefit of the king. All of those blessings are what his kingdom is all about. For example, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink. Now the Lord will give you meat and drink. I'm hoping he's going to give me some in about an hour from now, actually. But the fact is, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink. It is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So if I want these things, where do I get the kingdom of God? So I'm not saying that you're not, if you don't buy into the kingdom, you can't, you're not going to go to heaven. But what I do know is you're not going to, in this world, be able to really live in that victory and have the blessing that Jesus promised if you don't take up your cross, sell all, and follow him and live in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you? So the treasure is free, but the field costs, now listen to me, the field costs a sell-off of everything and a relocation. He moved his life. The reason he had to go move in with Jesus was he burned his bridges. There was no place else to go to. Now, when my wife and I got saved, we literally did that. And we're not the only people, and that's not unusual. Throughout the Bible, lots of people that followed Jesus sold everything walked away, left their home, left their nation, left their people, left their family, and accepting God or receiving Jesus in their life literally cost them their past as they walked into a whole new future with Jesus. 
So sometimes it is physically that dramatic. And I don't personally think that's a bad idea. I think that's a pretty good idea, to be honest. Amen. You understand what I'm saying to you? Is that the finder burns his bridges behind him for the privilege of moving in with Jesus. That's what getting saved is. That's what entering the kingdom of God is, moving in with Jesus. Do you see how different that is from having Jesus like a lucky rabbit's foot? Some of you that are older, you remember hang it from the rearview mirror of the car, a little luck, a medallion on your dashboard, or you understand St. Christopher medal or, or whatever those things are. You can try to take Jesus as an accessory to your life. And can you imagine somebody comes into a church, they're not saved, they, they accept Jesus. In their mind, okay, I've, I've accepted Jesus. Now it's like painting fairy dust over all my problems, over my life. And things are just going to become sweet. It's, he makes it sweeter and sweeter as the day goes by. At any rate, the idea is <clears throat> that Jesus as an accessory is a little bit of a fantasy. The reality is more like I moved in with him. We're living together. Jesus came so you could move in with him. Not so that he could be an embellishment or something that makes your life a little better while everything remains the same. So, some Christians try to live in their old house and then they buy the field as a getaway. <laughs> like a little vacation spot. And so they buy the field but they don't move there. Are you listening to me? They're saved, they buy the field, but they don't move there. Uh, they just go there for a little R&R &R once in a while. Drop in for a break. And um, then you wonder why you're only getting sketchy results, minimal results. Why, why the Lord only seems to be moving in a few areas of your life occasionally. Try selling everything. Move in with Jesus. You know when people first get saved, you can tell they moved in with Jesus because... All the old stuff comes off the walls of their house. And then you got the little crosses and the little praying hands everywhere. They got little things on every mantle. The refrigerators got all the little scriptures. And there's the little plastic loaf of bread with the daily verses in it showing my age. But you get what, you know what I'm saying. You can tell they've moved in with Jesus. Like it's a, there's a total redecoration of the house. They're I remember... We moved into a place uh, back in 1971 when we first became Christians and uh, moved into this house, mansion really, down in St. Petersburg where a bunch of kids were being discipled and living. And, and uh, I guess the house hadn't been saved very long because the, they had these lamps. And it was an old mansion, so it was it was. It was uh, uh, accessorized like an old mansion. So they had these lamps like Venus, you know, the statue of Venus, you know, that were um, like alabaster, marble, naked women with a lampshade on them. And they had little napkins and uh, stuff all while they made little dresses and they put the little dresses on them and everything. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't occur to them, let's get rid of the lamps and just get something different, you know. But they didn't want to have the believers there, you know, fellowshipping and discipling and everything and have all this worldliness. So they made the little outfits for the... I, I just thought it was cute when I first moved there. I thought, well, this is 
And I lived there. I moved there and I lived there and tempted once in a while to pull the little, you know. But, you know, you're saved. You don't do that anymore. So the point is, the point is that when you really relocate into the kingdom of God, you re relocate into the kingdom of God, there's this, there's this transformative change. You start changing your environment around you. That's how you know Jesus is Lord of your life. You get saved and nothing changes. You just st Everything stays the same. You do all the old things. Most of those old things you did are probably fine. But when Jesus is Lord, you start letting him talk to you about what you're involved with and what you do and, and uh, that sort of thing. So you can tell when someone's really moved in with Jesus, you know, they just voluntarily... It's not the church imposing regulations on them. It's not their Christian friends telling them you need to do this, you need to do that. It's just within their own heart they start doing some things that they feel convicted about and changing their environment around them. You know, it starts showing. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. The finder doesn't sell all to purchase salvation. Jesus purchased, and that's why he's the treasure. The, tre the treasure is free. Salvation is free. But listen to me. He sells all not to purchase salvation. He buys the field, which means he sells all to relinquish the world's demands over him so that he's able to relocate. To free he frees himself from his old properties. He frees himself from his old obligations so that he can now relocate and live his life under the lordship of Jesus' kingdom. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Have you ever wondered why God often removes people from their home and their friends before using them in his kingdom? Because he often does. I know he did in my life. And many people that I know... In their early Christian experience, the Lord extracted them from their familiar surroundings and dramatically changed, called them out. Why does the Lord do that? He did it with the disciples, even changing their names in many cases. Beginning with Abraham, changed his name. So think about this for a minute. God calls Abraham to leave his family and home and travel to a place where the Lord was going to mightily use him. Now, the natural argument, and I was confronted with this argument when I was still a teenager and the Lord called me away from my state, away from my family, away from my home, to go somewhere I'd never been and, and serve him, and the Lord was going to do something great, he said. I was confronted by a friend of mine who said, was very, very negative and very rational, and he said, well, that doesn't make a bit of sense. God can raise up people there where you're going. Why does he have to send you 1,500 miles away? You know, and, if, and, and furthermore, if God wants to use you, he could just use you where you are if he's really God. But what if, think with me for a moment, think of Abraham. God calls him and he travels some seven, seven to 800 miles away from his home and family and familiar surroundings, for God to use him in this land that he's going to give him. Why didn't God just use the land he was already living on to do something great? But, you know, God's got his reasons. So the natural reaction is to argue that God can raise up people where they are. Amen. But what if, and hear me, what if disassociation with the familiar 
was the price for developing Abraham's faith? What if being separated from what brings security and what is familiar to you was necessary for you to be able to learn how to walk with God? In fact, let me say this, that clinging to the familiar is one reason why so many Christians are weak in faith. And God's coaxing us out into the deeper waters. Consider Moses, of whom it was said in Hebrews, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, and he endured as seeing him who was invisible. So he flees from Egypt, he goes out into the Midian desert and spends years in obscurity, and the Bible says he endured being in that strange place, cut off and separated from all his familiar surroundings, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Think about it. You might have to clear your eyes of the familiar and comfortable before you can see God in your life. Maybe the reason why some of you are not really seeing God in your life is you won't push away from the edge of the pool and move out into the deep waters. Your eyes are so intensely focused on what you can control what you have done and what needs to happen next, and that which is familiar to you that you can't see God. Oftentimes, the vision of God takes us into a place where we've never been. And if you can't take the discomfort, and if you can't handle the call of God pulling you out from a place that you're comfortable, then you are going to have a difficult time. You know, the fight of faith, is not always fighting the enemy. Sometimes the fight of faith is fighting with the fact that God's trying to get you to step away from your security. And you're wrestling with his call and wrestling with yourself. King David, another example. King David was removed from his father's house in his youth in order to take possession of his destiny as the king of Israel during his manhood. This is why we have many Christians in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who are still children. And they're not men. Amen. They're not women. They're not grown. They're not adult. They still act and think like, like adolescents. Because we enter adulthood and we enter manhood and we enter maturity through that process of allowing God to pull us out and away from our, our blanket, our security blanket and enter the kingdom of God. Are you willing? I remember when my security blanket, and I thank God the Lord gave her back to me. She's still beautiful. Beautiful uh, security blanket. But that was my security blanket. And the Lord told me to put that blanket down. Walk away and go follow him. And to, you, you heard the story a couple weeks ago, the dramatic, it was like a movie running through the rain and all of that. But it was real. The Lord... <clears throat> I'm convinced of it. Didn't call me and doesn't call most people and hasn't called you because you're so beautiful or so smart or you've got so much that can help him with his work. But he's looking for people who are willing. Are you willing to walk in the kingdom of God? In order to do that, you must sell all that you have and buy the field. Buy the field. Not everybody's willing to buy the field. Buy the field. See, the ambassadors of Christ are people who've bought the field. 
That's why the power is flowing. That's why the anointing is flowing. And you don't have to, we have this really convoluted idea that people that God uses or if the Lord wants to use in your life, it's because you are, you've got something more than what other people have. And, and that's not true because most of the time it's people who have less than what other people have. Not as smart, not as tall, not as good looking, not as, you know, their pedigree isn't quite as sharp and they haven't been to the colleges or whatever it may be. So if you are discounting yourself and thinking, you know, I have a hard time, I'm not the most obedient person, I'm a little bit of a radical, I'm a little rebellious. Hey, wake up, you're just, the, you're perfect, man. You're perfect, you're in a perfect place. Sell all that, buy the kingdom. Sell all that, buy the kingdom. And follow Jesus. Watch what God can do. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise. Can you say amen? amen? So even the Apostle Paul, he becomes a Christian, right? He's very prominent and he's, he's uh, well known in Israel. He becomes a Christian and he is immediately, God immediately separates him where, uh, from Israel where he's important. And he spends the next 14 years living in obscurity in Arabia in order to emerge 14 years later as the apostle to the Gentiles. This was a guy that didn't have much use for Gentiles. But look at what God did in his life. So he leaves the place where everyone knows him and everyone looks up to him to become a nobody so that the Lord could do some kingdom work through him. And it just goes on and on. All of the disciples left their homes, left their dreams. They followed Jesus into a new citizenship in the kingdom of God. These were all people who bought the field in order to possess the treasure. So Paul writes in Philippians 3 and 8, I count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And you know what? I'm not whining about it. I count them as dung. <laughs> you know, that stuff you avoid on the sidewalk where people walk their dogs. I count all the stuff that I've lost instead of whining over it and, and pining and mourning. How come I, you know, I'm not making a big salary like I could have if I had to become a Christian or whatever. <laughs> he said, I count them all as dung. Why? So that I may win Christ. God hasn't planned to make you poor. God hasn't planned to drive you into obscurity. God hasn't planned to ruin your life. He's planned for you to win Christ. But to get there where you win Christ, you've got to buy the kingdom. Buy into the kingdom. Somebody say amen. amen. So I'll close with this thought. Jesus is telling you this morning... When you sell off your old life in order to live in the kingdom of God, you will most definitely see and receive the treasure. Amen. That really is the bottom line in this message, that God has every intention of making you rich with the treasure of Jesus Christ. Having God in the flesh, living in your life, and all that that entails. And my, my mind hasn't even gone there. I can't even imagine what all of it is. But sky's the limit as far as I can see. Amen. He wants to fill you with the treasure of knowing Jesus. So it's not about 
dispossessing you of everything you have. It's about filling you with everything He has. It's not about just moving out from the world. It's about moving in with Jesus. That's the message of the kingdom. How about you this morning? Do you buy into the kingdom of God? Stand with me this morning. Let me see.